Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Have an interesting story here um, before we jump into uh, scripture. This uh, this took place uh, about a week ago. Um, this was uh, in Monterey, Mexico, last week. A man by the name of uh, Carlos Alonso, 32 years old, allegedly went to Christ the King Parish of Monterey last Saturday in an attempt to rob the church. According to the report, Alonzo allegedly broke into the church and tried to steal a St. Michael the Archangel statue, but then he tripped and fell, landing on the statue's sword. The sword cut his neck, seriously injuring the thief with passerby noticing the wounded man and calling for emergency help for him with Monterey Civil Protection arriving soon after. The man was later hospitalized while the statue was returned to the church, apparently undamaged by the incident. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up, man. Amazing, right? You'll be in Colossians uh, chapter number three here this morning. And I know we got some guests uh, joining with us, and so glad that you're here. And uh, I'd like to help you in any way that we can. If we could be a blessing to you, please let us know. But uh, we've been looking here, uh, Colossians, uh, working through the book of Colossians. And uh, here this morning, we're going to be looking again at verse uh, 22 all the way through chapter 4, verse number 1. And as I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, the gospel should be affecting every area of your life, and including our relationships. That's why Paul kind of goes and spends a lot of time working through um, the whole uh, gamut, if you will, of relationships. Uh, He deals with relationships in the church. He deals with relationships in the home between husband and wife, and then children, brings those in, the fathers. Uh, And then he starts talking about the relationships that slaves are supposed to have with their masters and masters with their slaves. And uh, the gospel should affect how we treat one another, how we uh, respond to one another. And Paul goes in detail in all of those things. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, since this passage dealt with slave slavery uh, in that aspect, we, we spent some time looking at what does the Bible actually say about slavery and what does it teach about slavery. And if you missed that uh, message, I encourage you to... Uh, uh, listen to that. You can find it online on our uh, church website, and you can uh, listen to that. But uh, this week, we wanted to, now we understand that slaves were a part of the church, the early church at that time. It was not uncommon for a, a, believer, a, a slave to become a believer and actually be part of the church. Uh, in fact, you find that uh, with Onesimus, who was a runaway slave from this church, Uh, He became a Christian and then gets sent back to the church uh, to the man uh, Philemon uh, that was a member of this church as well. And so Paul talks a lot about uh, how the relationship uh, should be uh, with all of those things. And so today I want to kind of give you some instructions here, uh, what Paul talks about how slaves are supposed to be doing their work Um, and then also how masters are supposed to be treating their slaves. Now, obviously, we don't have slaves uh, today, even though some of us may feel like, oh, I've been slaving away all day at work, right? Um, But the thing is, we don't have slavery in the sense that they had it that time at that uh, uh, point in history today. 
But there are some things that we can glean from this text in how we, uh, if we are an employee, should be acting on the job if the, if the gospel has changed our life, how our character, how our work ethic should be on the job, and also for those that are our bosses, how they should be uh, treating uh, their employees. And maybe you're a manager, maybe you uh, have people under you at your work, at your job that you work at, and how you should, uh, some things that you should learn from this, uh, how you should uh, treat others uh, there as well. So let's read this text here together, and uh, then I'd like to give you a few things uh, from this text that I think can be a big help to us. So here it is, Colossians 3:22, all the way through chapter 4, verse number 1. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you uh, this morning As a worker or a manager, glorify Christ in your work and on the job. So as a worker or a manager, glorify Christ in your work and on the job. Now, I think Paul really underscores this point of glorifying Christ here because five times in this text, he mentions about the Lord. You see it there? We see fearing the Lord, verse 22, work heartily as for the Lord, verse 23. From the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, verse 24. You are serving the Lord Christ, uh, and also you have a master, same word, Lord, in heaven in uh, uh, chapter 4, verse number 1. And so I'd like to give you three ways that Paul lays out for us here how we can glorify Christ in our work, and on the job, either as a worker or a manager. So here they are. Number one, glorify Christ by obeying in everything with sincerity of heart. Now, the first priority of a slave is what Paul says here as he addresses these slaves, was to obey his master in everything. Now, if you were a slave during this time, could you imagine, here you are, you're part of maybe this church, maybe uh, uh, your master is, is, a, is a member of this church, and here comes this letter from Paul, and all of a sudden Paul is saying, hey, listen, slaves, you better obey your masters in everything. How would that make you feel? Probably pretty horrible. Everything? Everything? I am supposed to obey in Everything? Well, that's what the text says here. And so maybe they were angry with this to hear that. I'm supposed to obey in everything. They may have been looking for Paul to tell the masters to let them go or to call for the slaves to rebel. But however, Paul didn't do this. Why not? Why was obedience so important? Well, remember, Paul was urging these believers to live counterculture. And in a culture where slaves ran away and rebelled, 
Paul instead commands them to obey and not just obey, but obey in everything. Now, perhaps you're thinking everything. See, remember, these slaves were nothing more than property. But as a Christian, these slaves had a higher authority, and that was Christ himself. And if a Christian slave was told to do something that went against what God had said, hopefully they would have stood up for what was right. I can only uh, give you one example that I can remember from Scripture uh, that this happened, found in Genesis 39, when Joseph, who was a slave in Potiphar's house there, uh, Mrs. Potiphar came and uh, she started eyeing Joseph, and she's thinking, hey, I'd really like to have Joseph uh, come with me and lie with me in bed. And, and she says, hey, Joseph, come on, master's away. I want you to come with me. And he's like, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Uh, and uh, he decides, says, hey, I'm out of here, right? He flees. He loses his coat, but he keeps his character. She grabs his coat, right? And he runs out of the house. She lies about him. What happens? He gets thrown in prison. And so we have an example there of Joseph. He did not even obey uh, when it was something that he knew that God would not want him to do. And so Joseph kept his integrity and valued his relationship with God more than obedience to an earthly master asking him to do something that would dishonor God. Now, obviously, we don't have slaves today, nor are we slaves as they were in that sense. But as believers, if we are working for a company or an employer, we need to obey in everything as long as it doesn't cause us to violate Scripture or cause us to sin. Now, if you can't, with good conscience, obey what is being asked of you to do, then I would have to say that you need to discuss that with your employer or seek out another form of employment. Now, let me give you a couple of practical ways that we can obey in everything uh, if we are there on the job. Number one, practice obedience in everything by not delaying. When we delay, that is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And so if our boss asks us to do something, we don't say, you know, we need to get it done because our boss is asking us to do it. And if we're going to be glorifying Christ on the job, then we need to do it right away when we're asked to do it. Secondly, practice obedience in everything by not complaining. Titus 2.9 says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them. We live in a world where everybody complains in their workplace. They complain about their bosses, they complain about pay, they complain about their co-workers, they complain about vacation, etc., etc., etc. It's just complaint after complaint after complaint. Now, if you have worked in the workplace, you know that it is full of complaining, even in Christian organizations. However, an employee who obeys in everything is an employee who works without complaining. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation 
in which you shine like stars in the universe. Now notice how Paul instructs these slaves in how their obedience and how our obedience is to be carried out. Number one, don't be a grandstanding people pleaser. Notice what he says here. He says that they are to do their work not by way of eye service as people pleasers. For emphasis, he actually repeats the same idea in the next verse. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and what? Not for men. So everything, if we are a believer in Christ and we're on the job, we should be doing everything for God and God alone to glorify Christ not to be a people pleaser. One of the things that I struggle with is I'm a people pleaser. I want to please people, and that's very hard for me. And so it's hard for me to sit there and try to do something and do it for the right motive because I might be wanting to have people uh, like what I'm doing or I, I I want their approval, right? So we should never try to do things to impress others. Uh, Paul here says that they were not to impress their masters while they were looking and then goof off when the masters were out of sight. Rather, they should enthrone Christ as the Lord of their hearts. That reality would manifest itself in their work if they did that. It was noted that during the first century, because of the teachings of Scripture, Christian slaves in the ancient world went for double the price of a regular slave, and this is because they worked hard and were honest and respectful as they were serving Christ and not man. So Paul's command to them here and to us is to obey the master, right, our Lord Jesus, and we're not to uh, be obeying to try to get the, the, the employers uh, a look upon us and say, oh, wow, whoa, whoa, you know, we're not trying to please them. We're trying to please Christ. And if we are trying to please Christ, then uh, we will do what's right on the job. And so as believers in Christ, we should be working hard all the time, even when nobody is looking or watching. Here's the second thing. Have a sincere heart when working. Continuing on, Paul tells them here, he says specifically how their work and our work should be coming across as believers in Christ. He says that it's identified by with sincerity of heart. Now, the Christian employee must work with sincerity. Now, what does that mean, sincerity of heart? The English word for sincere comes from the Latin word sincera, meaning without wax. Uh, back in the old days, uh, during the first century here, uh, when they were selling pottery in the uh, marketplace, sometimes there would be a pot that had cracks in it. And so what the merchant would do is to uh, sell that pot. He would fill those cracks with wax and then paint it. And say, oh, look how solid this pot is. And he would uh, sell it and, you know, sell a worthless broken pot. And so Paul is saying here, your life, your work ethic needs to be without wax. And what they would do is they would take that pot and they would hold it up to the light. And if it had cracks in it, it would show. But if it was solid, it would be without wax. 
And so Paul says your work ethic needs to be without wax, with sincerity of heart. In today's workforce, it is common for employees to be dishonest with their employers. They do this by wasting their employer's time. They are paid to work a certain amount of hours a day, but instead uh, of working, they play on the internet or waste time in other ways. You know how frustrating that is when you go someplace and you expect to get something and then you see the employee standing around not doing what they should be doing? Right? They're wasting their employer's money. They are stealing from their employers. And if you're a believer in Christ, you should, your work ethic should be different. It should be without wax, totally sincere, sincerity of heart. It's also increasingly common for employees to steal from the workplace. There's an old uh, Johnny Cash song. Uh, it's called One Piece at a Time. Uh, he was working on the assembly line at a, uh, at a Cadillac uh, assembly uh, for GM. And uh, he started there at a certain time. And uh, over the years, he starts collecting parts and taking them home so he can build his own Cadillac. And uh, by the time he gets to the point where he wants to start putting everything together, he's got three headlights and a tail fin from like a 59 and, you know, a, a something else from, and it's really strange looking thing. But here's, here's part of the song, okay? He says, so the very next day when I punched in with my big lunch box and with the help from my friends, I left that day with a lunch box full of gears. I've never considered myself a thief, but GM wouldn't miss just one little piece, especially if I strung it out over several years. And there are sometimes many employees who steal from the workplace, and it might just be something small, but it's still, you're stealing. You're taking it. It's, you are not being sincere in your work. Uh, you have wax, you have cracks uh, in your life. And so Christians should be sincere in their work without pretense or sham. We must be models of integrity while working. We should be without wax. And is your work ethic without wax? Is it sincere? If your heart was to be held up to the light of God, would it show cracks or integrity? How have you seen or experienced this lack of integrity in the workplace that you work at? How is God challenging you to be more sincere in your work ethic? Here's a third thing that how we can glorify Christ. Fear the Lord in everything you do. Christian employees must obey their employers out of fear for the Lord. Notice what he says, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Your translation may say reverence, same idea, but what does Paul mean by working with reverence or fear for the Lord? Working with reverence for the Lord means that anything an employee does, whether it be sweeping, mopping, cleaning bathrooms, etc., etc., working on the assembly line, working in the factory, you know, you got the one job, you got the, the cock gun, and your job is just to cock the windows, right? That's all you do. Or you got the one job and you got the drill and you just, you got the one job and you pull the lever, right? Whatever that job is, you are to do it out of reverence or fear for the Lord. 
That means that everything that you do should be viewed as holy work that is offered to God. W. MacDonald, in his book, The Believer's Bible Commentary, Old and New Testaments, he tells a story about a workplace with a sign above the kitchen sink. And that sign said, Divine service held here three times daily. The person who oversaw the dishes understood that even the mundane things at work could be worship to the Lord. Studying for a test, preparing a presentation, grading papers, cooking food, factory work, construction work, and anything else we can think of can be something that we offer as worship to God. Paul told the slaves to work for their masters with a reverence or a fear for the Lord. We should ask ourselves, is my workplace holy ground? A place where God is daily honored and daily exalted. You might be saying, but Mike, you don't understand the factory mentality where I work. I mean, it's horrible over there. Hey, I've been on construction job sites. I know what it's like. But what you do, can you offer that as holiness to God? Can you offer that as divine service to God? And you are doing your very best pulling that lever, putting the hole in the, in the, uh, in the metal, punching the button, whatever it is, can you offer that as divine service to serve God? You can. True Christianity is a matter of our hearts before God. It's not pasting Christian virtues on an unchanged heart. Rather, it's practicing Christian virtues because God has changed your heart. You see, that's the important thing about the gospel. See, if Christ has not changed your heart, you can do all the uh, moral things in life, but you still have an unregenerate, unchanged heart. And if the gospel has changed us, it will come across in how we work and should work uh, in our workplace. James sums it up this way. Faith without works is what? So you say that Christ has changed your life. You say the gospel has transformed you. Has it transformed you so much that it comes across as evident in what you do in the workplace? How you perform your job? Or are you just like everybody else? Complaining, not thinking, uh, trying to please the boss, whatever it may be. Has the gospel changed your life? In Titus 2, 9 through 10, regarding Christian slaves, Paul instructed Titus this, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not stealing, right? But showing with all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. What does that mean, to adorn the doctrine of God in every respect? The word adorn simply means to make beautiful or attractive. Uh, Some of the ladies in here, you adorn certain things, right, to make yourselves beautiful and attractive. It may be a certain arrangement of jewelry or might be an arrangement of your clothing. Whatever it is, right, you are adorning certain things to make it attractive, okay, 
Paul is saying here, as believers in Christ, we need to be so adorning the very doctrine of God, we arrange it, we make it presentable to others, that it makes Christ attractive. Is that how you live and act at the workplace where you're at? Is Christ attractive in your work and what you do? In other words, they will live out what Scripture teaches. The life goal of a bondservant was to make the teachings of God beautiful and appealing by living them out. Fellow brother and sister in Christ, are we adorning the doctrine of God? Are we making the teachings of God appealing by how we do our work and how we obey our boss? If God is truly our Savior... Our behavior on the job should show that and it will become from a heart that has been changed by the gospel. Have you been changed by Christ? And if so, are you actually living this out the way scripture tells us to live these things out? The gospel is so powerful and dynamic that it changes everything about us and should change everything about us. Has it changed you? Or is it only good for Sunday mornings? Is it good for Monday morning work and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, right? Is it, has it changed your life? So glorify Christ by obeying everything with sincerity of heart. Here's the second thing. Glorify Christ by working hard as for the Lord. Paul says here, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Paul says to work heartily. It can also be translated putting their whole inner man into the effort or do it enthusiastically. Oh man, I'm so glad I get to punch the lever today. And, right? Doing it enthusiastically, working heartily for the Lord. Christian employees should never be known for being lazy. They should work with all their heart because they are seeking to please the Lord. Often it is difficult to find motivation to work hard for an employer who is unfair or doesn't treat people rightly. Sometimes we may even lack motivation because we don't like our job. However, we must still hear Paul's words, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As you can imagine, this type of work ethic among slaves would have probably brought a lot of persecution. If everybody else was slacking off and one slave was working hard, they would have called him what? Brown noser, master's pet, right? Can you imagine how difficult that must have been if you were a Christian slave and everybody else wasn't doing anything? Boy, that still happens today, doesn't it? We should be working hard for the Lord. And even if, even if it brings persecution, you should continue to work hard for the Lord. No matter the situation, Christians should work heartily for the Lord to honor his name. Now, what does it mean to work heartily? Literally, the word heartily means from the soul. Let me give you a couple practical ways that you can work heartily. Number one, working heartily means doing quality work. Quality work. A Christian employee should not just work to impress the boss or work when the boss is looking. God is always looking, so always do your very best, even if it never shows to men. 
Secondly, working heartily means having a positive attitude on the job. If we back up again in verse number 22, sincerity of the heart and working heartily are tied together. You see that there? Working hard and then also sincerity of the heart. And so it means singleness of purpose, undivided service. It refers to a worker who concentrates on his work because his heart is in it. And as I said, the word heartily means from the soul and points to inner motivation. It would have been easy for slaves to gripe about their working conditions and about the unfair treatment they received from their masters. But if they did their work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, they would have a positive, cheerful spirit in everything that they were doing. And so Christ is the one that makes the difference on the job. Has he made the difference? They would be free from grumbling or complaining. Uh, And if you as a believer in Christ work heartily, you will stand out at your job. So work hard for the Lord. Here's the last thing. Glorify Christ by keeping an eternal perspective. The third way we are to glorify Christ at our jobs is keep an eternal perspective What do I mean by this? Remember that it's not about this life, but the next. See, that's the whole problem with the prosperity gospel stuff. It's always about this life. What you have now, right? What you can get now. If you want it all now, you're not going to have anything next, right? Isn't that what Jesus taught? You lose your life now, you'll what? Find it, right? If you try to save your life now, What's going to happen? You're going to lose it. So remember, there's an eternal perspective with all this. And so we will have to give an account to God in our work ethic, either as a worker or as a boss. Do you understand of how encouraging these words must have been to these slaves? I mean, look look at our text here. Verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. What did slaves own? Nothing. And all of a sudden now they're being told they're going to receive an inheritance? Wait a minute, I I have nothing. Paul says, you work hard. You work hard for the Lord. You do it out of sincerity of the heart. You do it as not as men pleasers, but to glorify Christ. He says, you will receive an inheritance. And that inheritance is what Jesus taught, right? Thieves don't break in there, right? You don't have the guy up there trying to steal the, uh, the archangel statue, right? No. Uh, it, rust doesn't come over there, right? It, it's, it's, it's kept, it's guarded. He says, you will receive an inheritance. And if they were to do this by glorifying Christ, by obeying their masters, this would have been really radical to hear as a slave. Slaves could not own anything and receive no inheritance throughout their life. So this would have been given great hope and motivation to the slaves, especially those who were working under a very hard and difficult master. Surely we can apply that in some way, can't we? You might be thinking, Mike, you don't understand how hard and difficult it is of the job that I work at. You don't understand how hard my boss is. He's very demanding. Work hard. Work hard. Continue to work hard, right? 
Because if you do it and you do it correctly, the Bible says you will receive an inheritance. That's what Scripture tells us. Now, what are these rewards that they were going to get? Well, obviously, I believe the Lord is storing up in heaven for those who are faithful to him, which is clearly taught in 1 Corinthians 3.14, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and 2 Timothy 4.8. And so these rewards, he says, you will receive these rewards uh, if you work hard. And they are rewards that will be given out. Um, now, notice how he plainly tells them that Christ is the one who will reward them by telling them this. Verse 24, you are serving Christ. Now, that's an interesting statement, is it not? Who are they serving, the masters or Christ? Christ. On your job, who are you serving? Are you serving your boss or are you serving Christ? That makes all the difference in the world in our work ethic. Paul tells these slaves who were often regarded as a piece of property or a disposable tool, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Think about that. When and where did they serve him? Where did they serve Christ? They're slaves. They don't have personal time. Where did they serve Christ? On the job. As they worked heartily for the Lord. He says, you are serving the Lord Christ. They probably put in 80 to 100 hours a week serving their masters. And he says, you served the Lord Christ by fulfilling what Christ wanted them to do. Now take note of verse 25. This is an interesting verse. Notice what he says here. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Now Paul's line of thought is he's talking about receiving a reward, but now he mentions discipline here. Now, scholars debate about this application of verse 25. Is he warning the slaves here, the masters, or both? Who's he talking to? Is he saying, now, slaves, no, if you do wrong, you will be paid back. Or is he talking to the masters saying, masters, if you do wrong, you will be paid back. There's no partiality with the Lord. There may be a warning here for both sides, but in the context, I believe Paul is encouraging slaves who were mistreated to do what was right in spite of it. And it seems more natural to take this verse in the sense of, don't worry about those who mistreat you and seem to escape any consequences because the Lord will repay them someday. And he's saying that we need to focus primarily on the eternal perspective, not what's going on right now. There might be things that have happened on your job. You might be thinking things like, you know, I feel like I'm going nowhere. Mike, my boss, overlooked me for a raise and gave it to the 30-year-old that just started a year ago, and he still lives in his parents' basement, right? It's not fair. Mike, my boss makes me do everyone else's job, and then I get blamed for when they screw up. Mike, they are shutting down my department. I'm only uh, at work now for a few days. What am I to do? Well, let me give you some practical advice here. Number one, there's nothing wrong with trying to better your situation by getting a better job. That's clearly taught 1 Corinthians 7.21. Secondly, if you don't find another job right away, be the very best employee that you can be by showing them that the gospel has changed your life, irregardless of the circumstances, because your reward awaits you in heaven. 
Now let's wrap all this up with chapter uh, 4, verse number 1. Paul is calling for the masters to keep an eternal perspective as well. Again, Paul's teachings here were radical. In the ancient culture, William Barclay in the New Daily Study Bible says this, the letters to Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonians said this about slavery in the Roman Empire. The slave was a thing in the eyes of the law. There was no such thing as a code of working conditions. When slaves were too old to work, they could be thrown out to die. Slaves did not even have the right to marry. And if they cohabited and children were born, the children belonged to the master, just as the lambs of the flock belonged to the shepherd. Once again, all the rights belonged to the master and all the duties to the slaves. And so because the slave had no rights in that culture, this often led to the abuse of slaves. However, Paul calls masters to do what is right and moral. Notice what Paul tells them to do. They are to treat them justly and to treat them fairly. Again, this was radical in a society where many masters commonly mistreated their slaves. To treat them justly and fairly would have brought discord among other slave owners. It may even have been more difficult to be a godly slave owner than to be a godly slave. We see a fantastic picture of this when Paul sent Onesimus back, that was the runaway slave from this church, and Philemon, who was the master uh, of that slave there uh, from the church at Colossia, uh, Colossae there. And we see the picture of Paul, you know, introduces Onesimus to Christ, and Onesimus gets sent back to Colossae. He was a runaway slave. He says, I want you to go back. And then he writes a letter to Philemon, and he says, hey, listen, Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back. You better treat him right. He's your brother in Christ now. Boy, that must have been really radical to hear that during that time. And remember, Paul, again, he's, he's battling the, uh, the culture at that time. And uh, Paul says, you are not only to treat Onesimus as a servant, but as a dear brother in the Lord. And that's how Paul calls uh, for these uh, slave owners to treat uh, their slaves now. Now, notice why they are to treat them justly and fairly. Notice what he says here. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So, if you are an employer, or you're a manager, or you have some sort of job that you have people that work under you, maybe you might be a group leader or some... some kind of way like that. Whatever it is that you're doing, if you are over somebody, you are to treat them justly and fairly, is what Scripture says. Why? Because you have a master in heaven, so you're without excuse. And Paul wants them to recognize their accountability to their heavenly master. One day they will be judged by God just as the slaves will be on the basis of their stewardship. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about this, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now in Hebrews 13, the writer is probably talking specifically about elders in the church. And as an elder uh, in this fellowship of believers, and even as the other elders here, you know, Alan, uh, Jeff, and Jerry, we will all have to give an account in how we stewarded the leadership that was given to us. And we will be judged by God 
of how we treated you. We'll have to give an account for that. And so we have to keep an eternal perspective in mind. You know, it's not just like, oh, well, oh, well, who cares? I can replace you anytime. Oh, well, who cares? Right? No, we got to keep an eternal perspective on things like this. And so the Christian employer should remember that he, too, is a person under authority. We all are. God is our ultimate authority, whether we are an employee or an employer, right? And so if we are going to glorify Christ, then we have to listen to what Scripture says and obey Scripture. And we do that, and we live that out. Uh, We will glorify Christ in all things. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.